Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. And we are continuing our series, The Living One. How many of you guys have enjoyed this series so far? Okay, tough crowd. All right, we get polite. There's polite hand raises. <laughs> okay, um, I really enjoy this series because um, even for me, when it comes to message prep, I know exactly where we're going next week. We're going to the next church, <laughs> and um, we've been going through Jesus's address to the seven churches in the Book of Revelation, and. It's, it, we've, we've laughed, we've cried. Wait, remember Crystal? <laughs> Last week? Uh, just joking. Um, <laughs> that's the last time I do feedback questions. Um, we, we've gone through and we've been able to see Jesus' address to these different churches and how unique they are. Last week was kind of a toughie, right? Uh, uh, his address to the church of Pergamum he, he was just polite in, uh, in saying, you haven't abandoned the faith. Now this is what I have against you. It's like, they had no accolades, no accomplishments. They didn't do anything significant. He's like, well, you're still a Christian, okay? So that's good job there. Now, don't do this now. <laughs> and today, we're going to be um, looking with this message called, Know My Heart. He knows my heart. Anyone ever hear that saying before? Well, God knows my heart. Um, that's the most like, uh, amazing saying and the most, um, dismissive saying the, the most amazing part about it is that it's very, very true. The mixed feelings about it is that because it's true, that could be either good or bad <laughs> because whenever we, whenever it's like uh, with me and my wife, it randomly, no change in my expression, no change in my face, no change in my tone. I feel like nothing has changed. And all of a sudden, it's like, what's wrong? <laughs> what do you mean? You seem different. I didn't say anything or do anything. I know you. <laughs> See, she knows my heart to where I don't even have to say it. I don't even have to try to, uh, to do anything different. She knows that something is up because she knows my heart. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And in the same way, God knows our hearts. And we're going to look at how Jesus portrays himself to this church today. We're going to look, I'm going to first read the whole scripture. Um, that's weird that I did that. Uh, I'm going to, we're going to first read the whole scripture. And then we're going to break it down just like we've been doing this uh, throughout this whole series. Okay. So starting off, it says in Revelation chapter 2 verse 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her 
into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with plague. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold firmly until I come. The one who overcomes and the one who keeps my deeds until the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are shattered, as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Pretty intense message, right? This is actually one of the longest uh, addresses to a church that we've seen so far. And I want us to just start with this first point. We're going to look at how Jesus specifically reveals himself to this church. Because every church he reveals himself to a specific way. So before uh, we get started, I want to say that... That's the wrong quote. (laughs) Jesus is passionate and he calls us to be passionate. Just ignore that. Jesus is passionate, and he calls us to be passionate. The first verse that we're looking at is in chapter 2, verse 18, and it says, And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze, says this. So this is a really peculiar way that he reveals himself to this church. He First is that he identifies who he is. He says, the Son of God. He doesn't say that to any of the other churches. All the, uh, he says, I'm the one who is the Son of God. And what this signifies is both relationship and authority. Especially in Jewish culture, the Son was, uh, was looked at just as much as the Father when it came to authority. There's even parables where Jesus gives where he, it's... Uh, where the landowner would send out the son saying that surely they'll respect my son. I've given him authority. And so he gives this very specific role of relationship mixed with authority. What it, what it shows us in this simple, this simple context is that rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. And he's identifying this relationship aspect of himself between him and the Father, and he's reminding the church of this relational aspect that he has with them. Okay? And so, um, it's a reminder. The second part is, he emphasizes that he has eyes of fire, that eyes with a flame of fire. What this speaks is passion and omniscience. Passion and omniscience. This passion, starting with this idea this is, a, this is a very consuming passion of Jesus. Notice that all throughout Scripture, He portrays Himself as an all or nothing for our hearts. To where uh, when we hear Scriptures like uh, that if we are lukewarm, He will spew us out of His mouth. It, it's like the most commonly quoted, we haven't got to that one yet, I think, but it's one of the most commonly quoted ideas of, of what kind of Christian we ought to not be. And it's the idea of being not hot nor cold. It's being like somewhere in the middle. And what this, what, what, the way that I usually like to relate it is to marriage. Because Jesus 
out of all the relationships that he gives, could give as his portrayal to us, he references the church and him as a marriage, that he's the groom and we're the bride. And to, to say that if my wife, or I, I'll say it like this, if I were to tell my wife, I love you so much, you have, I'm all yours, okay? I'm going to just go on a date with somebody else. Do you see how that, it, if she was in the room, she would have some, say something or uh, hit me. But see, you could see how that shows a lack of passion that I would have in my marriage, right? That it's displaced and lacking because I want to share it with someone else. And in the same way, when, when we tell Jesus, dude, I'm all yours, but I still want these other things too, it, there's, a, there's a lack of passion that we have. Y'all get what I'm saying? There's a reserve. And whenever I've talked to people about either becoming a Christian or people who are already Christians struggling in their faith, the biggest, I feel like, blockade that people come to is this point where they have this idea about God where they, they don't want to miss out on the pleasures of the world. Well, if I, like, what about, they just look at it as this big list of, well, I can't do this then, or I don't, I won't be able to do that. And it becomes more of a rule thing, a lot like what people look at marriage today, this rule thing. It's not this passionate relationship that, with a person that becomes your, your best friend and your life partner to where you go through sorrows and joys together. Well, if I get married, then I can't have sex with anybody else. <laughs> See, that, we just look at things of, well, then I won't be able to do this. And see, it just shows this lack of passion, this lack of intimacy. Now, this other part of his eyes being like fire is omniscience. What it's showing is this, this piercing glow in his eyes to where it just like reads your heart. With our daughter, Joy, if any of y'all met her when she was like just a couple months old, she just had this look about her that made it look like she was piercing through your soul. And I would have like, we'd bring her to church and we we're so happy for this little baby and I'll just see grown men looking at her like this. And I'm like, are you okay? Like, I just feel like she knows everything about me. <laughs> and have you noticed that eyes are just like a gateway to our souls? And that there's certain ways that people can look at you to where they don't have to say anything. They don't have to do anything. But just in their eyes, you can read everything. And there's those moments, especially if you have parents that are close to you, to where it's like when mom or dad looks at you, just like, they know. <laughs> oh, crap, they know. And they haven't even done anything, and you just think, like, they're just playing pretend and acting like they don't know, but I know they know because of the way they looked at me. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Some of you are like, y'all, good thing I didn't have parents. That's crazy. <laughs> um, and so it's this whole imagery of passion and omniscience. And then finally, when it says that he has feet like bronze... It says burnished bronze. What that means is it, it's when, um, when something is so, like, gone through the fire so much that it's polished. And so what it, what it speaks is experience. It speaks endurance. It, he's walked. He's walked through the experience of both heaven and earth. And um, it, it shows all that he has done. And... The metal bronze is actually prophetic for being a metal of judgment. And so 
this shows that what he's about to say to this church is a judgment. It's and what we what we just read, it shows that he's specifically like here to fix some stuff. He's passing, he's not even just giving guidance. He's saying, I've already passed judgment on this woman. And his he's already declared some things. Y'all, y'all feel that? And so um all of this imagery of Jesus, it gives so much, y'all notice, in just this first scripture. And so often we just gaze through this and we were like, well, what did I just read? And there's so much to unpack here in this imagery. So we learn that Jesus, it, he's addressing this church because he's enforcing these, uh, this, these I, would, I don't want to say rules, but he's enforcing what he, kind of Christians he's called them to be. And he's, and he's reminding them that the only way I'm enforcing this is because I have a relationship with you. And he's, say, he's showing a passion that he has and that he sees everything. And, he, and he's saying, I've walked where you've walked, and this is the judgment that I pass. Okay? And so now let's go into the fun part. And that is, this, this second point is just the same as the title, Jesus Knows Your Heart. Jesus Knows Your Heart. Um, man, I... <laughs> Ignore that. <laughs> um, we often abuse God's grace and mercy to excuse ourselves from conviction. Let me say that again. We often abuse God's grace and His mercy to excuse ourselves from conviction. This first part says, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. This church is like getting the standing ovation from Jesus. He's just saying like, good job. Y'all have been doing great. And he's, he, I mean, like what, what more could they possibly do? He says your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and you have amazing growth. I mean, that we've talked, like the first church we talked about, they were doing everything great, but they lost their first love. This church, he says love right there. Your love is great. Your faith is great. Your works are great. You've endured, you've persevered, and you've grown. And so this is just like an amazing church. And these, all of these things are things that every church should strive to succeed in. Strive to succeed in. Their actions, their faith, their love, their authenticity, their perseverance, their excellence, and their growing. And notice that all of these things are things that are able to be seen. These are all things that are able to be seen. Now let's go on to the next part, which is, But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with plague, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. So I, even the second time reading that, it seems more intense, right? <laughs> uh, notice that, that his affirmation of the church are the things that are seen. But his rebuke 
is examining the minds and hearts of things that are unseen. Affirmation of the things seen, but his rebuke are to the things unseen. The things within us, the things that we think, the things that are in our hearts. The, the, this woman has this huge tactic of manipulation. So when, when, let's focus around this huge warning to the church. It is centralized around this toxic leader. This toxic leader who he calls Jezebel. Now, it's most likely not her actual name. Jezebel is an Old Testament reference to a queen who's a queen with the king Ahab who manipulated the entire nation to, to, to pretty much bend at whatever she wanted. She killed, um, killed God's people, killed God's prophets. And if you tried to go, do anything against her, you'd just be killed or imprisoned. And so it's just like a wrecking ball. And even when it came to the king... She would often, uh, she would end up being the one in control. So, sorry, I just thought of a president. Um, <laughs> so the, self, the self-proclaimed prophetess um, in the church who is teaching and leading people into the opposite direction of repentance. She's a, this woman Jezebel is a, a, a self-proclaimed prophetess, meaning that she's, she's the one that's affirming her leadership. She's the one affirming her own authority. And so it shows that um, here it's a warning to whenever we're, we're listening to people who are, uh, whether we're listening to people or following people who are self-proclaimed. Jesus gives a really good, uh, the Bible gives a really good imagery of like a passing of a baton, like passing of the torch. And so this person just, arose and and started um, teaching and leading people into the opposite direction of repentance. I want us to focus on this idea real quick. To be led astray means to be lured off the path of God or being lured off the path of righteousness. It means being lured away from Jesus, right? To be led astray. And when we really unpack what this dialogue that's happening, she's leading people in the opposite direction of repentance. Repentance is, is invoking change. It's invoking a, a pursuit of holiness. It, it invokes a higher standard. But the opposite of repentance is what? This boils down to teaching others to do whatever feels good and is easy. And... Nothing is reverent, nothing is sacred, nothing is holy. In fact, when you, when you believe like this, when you live like this, it is even offensive to consider things sacred. It's offensive to, to make things holy. And that's a lot of what our world is today, right? Um, to where if you, if, it's like, a, I, love, uh, I love seeing Crystal's posts um, on social media, and she's so on fire for God, and... Um, it's like uh, she'll post something that's addressing Christians. Like it's two Christians like, hey, girls, um, don't settle for a, a man that's not living for God. Get, get one that's passionate about Jesus. And it's something simple. It's like that's a great advice to, to women, right, like who are pursuing God in their lives. And she'll get the like ugliest comments back. <laughs> like, like, who do you think you are telling me what to do? And she's like, I wasn't telling you what to do. Like, I'm talking to Christians. You're not a Christian. Like, and it's just like a, 
it's like complete strangers that losing their minds just trying to to grasp this concept of a person saying that something is is sacred that there that it is good to have a conviction and see that's the opposite direction of repentance i want to be able to do whatever feels good whatever i feel is right no no barriers no bridles and that's what we see this woman teaching and leading people to do to where when it came to the Gentiles, people who were not Jewish, Jewish being converted to Christianity, the, the apostles, those who walked with Jesus, do you know what commission they gave them? Because before, there, there, were, there were Jews saying, well, they're going to have to follow the, the steps of Moses. They're going to have to get circumcised. They're going to have to do this. They're going to have to practice Passover and the Sabbath. They're going to have to do all these things. And when it was brought to the apostles, it was a mixture of, of breaking away from their culture and their their religion into this this conversion of relationship with Christ. And their their message to the church is that to all the Gentiles being converted, we have no additional requirements for you except this to refrain from sexual immorality and to <laughs> to not eat uh food or drink blood sacrificed to idols. So don't don't worship demons and don't eat food worship to demons publicly uh, or knowingly and refrain from sexual immorality. Those are the only things told to the Christians other than like the morality of love your neighbor as yourself and love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Now over the, the generations, we've added to that, right? <laughs> we've added a lot to that. There is a lot of requirements. Some churches, if you don't tithe, well, you're going to hell. <laughs> if, if, you don't, if you don't tithe, you're the person that Jesus was talking about when he said, Get, uh, I, I never knew you. <laughs> Get behind me. I never knew you because you didn't tithe to your church. It's insane all the extra stipulations that we have added through the church besides these simple things of not eating food sacrificed to idols and reframing from sexual immorality. And what's funny is that the sexual morality part has just become like this unspoken topic in church to where we just hope and never talk about sex in church. And we're just like, well, they should know. Everyone should know. But the real reason that it's never talked about in church is because everyone's doing it. Everyone's talking about prayer and not praying. And then no one's talking about sex and everyone's doing it. Y'all see what's going on? It's like this, this like just big thing that we keep sweeping under the rug. But that's literally the only thing. Like, I, I don't think any of us really have a problem with like eating food sacrificed to idols right now. I mean, maybe in the near future, like you're hungry and they're just making that steak looks good. I mean, I could see that. But right now, it's like sexual morality is kind of like the hype of our generation, right? <laughs> Not really big into idols that much. Um, I mean, even like the Super Bowl is the lowest ratings in, in history right now. It's like, ah. Uh, <laughs> I'm okay. I don't need wings this time. But it and yet we don't ever talk about it and in this church the fact that it's like that's it seems like that's the only thing they're going out to do. They could do any it's almost like they could do anything else. They don't have to be perfect. Just don't do that. But this but this lady is saying like, "Oh no, if you do it, it's okay. Don't worry about it." But and that's why she's creating such a great following. Well, it's a lot easier to live like that. It's a lot easier to live in a way where nothing is sacred. You, you, you dig what I'm saying? And 
the idea of going in the opposite direction of repentance, if we're not working, walking towards a repentant lifestyle, that doesn't mean that any of us are perfect. Every one of us fall and slip up. If you're struggling with sexual sin, that doesn't mean we're, I'm, I'm here saying like, like, well, you're going to hell. Jesus said that is the only thing you can never do and you're, you're done. You're, you're going to be thrown on a bed of sickness like this lady. No, what I'm saying is that when we pursue a type of holiness, when we're pursuing uh, uh, repentance, it doesn't mean that we're always perfect. It means that we're walking that direction to where we even feel remorse when we slip up. So where when I do uh, fall into sin, or when I do do something that I didn't want to do, but I gave into temptation, there's a remorse that comes. Not just a guilt, not a guilt that just makes me, woe is me, I suck, I'm not a good Christian, God doesn't love me. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not godly. I'm talking about a remorse of, man, I really was trying, I need to get back up again. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Not a pity party, not a self-inflicting guilt but a remorse that says, I want to grow better. Y'all feel me? And to, to go in the opposite direction of repentance is just, is just not going in the direction of God. Y'all feel that? And so one of the most interesting parts of this scripture is Jesus describing being patient with this person he's clearly upset about. Notice that it's saying that he gave her time to repent. He says, I gave her time to repent. But at the end of the day, he, he knows her heart. And, it, and he simply says, she simply is stubborn and she doesn't want to change. He says, I gave her time to repent and she doesn't want to. We consistently use God's mercy as a scapegoat to continue without change, even when he calls us to change. Remember, no one here is perfect. I'm not perfect. No one here is perfect. Y'all might be doing a better job than me. I don't know. But the, the idea of ex, just excusing ourselves from being invoked to change, to being invoked to repentance, is abusing God's grace and mercy. And God isn't an idiot. He knows our hearts. He knows when we're trying to manipulate that grace, when we're trying to manipulate that mercy. And at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to just face them like, well, God, I did my best. I'm like, dude, you swan dived into sin. <laughs> Your best, you didn't just trip into it. Like you consistently went back to it and planned it and over and over and over. And you used the blood of Jesus as, as something that was ordinary. I'll just ask for forgiveness. That is okay. I'll just, that's what the blood of Jesus is for. Again, the blood of Jesus is for that. It's for all of our iniquities. It is for all of our shortcomings. But when we knowingly, consistently use it as something to, to, to just wash our hands after, after um, playing in the mud, like willingly and flippantly, it, be, it starts turning it into something ordinary instead of special. And Jesus doesn't want a marriage like that. He doesn't, he doesn't just want you to, to see his sacrifice on the cross as pennies in a jar that you can just pick from. It was the ultimate sacrifice that he paid for us. And if we were to just treat it as, as, uh, as something less than, I mean, how many of y'all would go home right now and kill your dog to, to get your sins forgiven? I mean, 
if my, my dog can be annoying sometimes, <laughs> but even at that, I would probably throw up at the thought <laughs> of, of trying to actually kill my dog and make a sacrifice for my sins over an an- with just an animal. Even if I were to find a stray, what about a, an animal you don't even know? Just some cat that showed up on your door. Would you use that, uh, an animal as a sacrifice? No, right? Because you value life. And yet, with the blood of Jesus, for some reason, we look at that sacrifice as something less than an animal. To where we can put Jesus on the cross over and over and over without a second thought. But I wouldn't do that to a hamster, let alone a mouse. I don't even want to kill a mouse. I would rather trap it and release it. That's just a rodent. Y'all get what I'm saying? We have made something so holy, so sacred as something less than ordinary. And that's what Jesus is addressing to this church. And he's saying, hey, I'm not going to have a marriage like that. I'm not, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be your, your side chick that, that you only call when you need something. And so, the patience that, even with that, even with that, Jesus shows this extreme patience with this woman, not only who is doing it herself, but leading other people astray, leading other people to indulge in this immorality like she is. And there, there's a line that's crossed in the sand to where once, it's like once that time runs out, it's not that grace runs out, but it's, it's almost like it's turned off. It's like, okay, that's enough. And that's when all of a sudden the consequences of our sin begin to unfold. And we see here this imagery of her being uh, on a bed of sickness. And we start seeing some imagery like, dang, Jesus, like chill. <laughs> that, that sounds kind of intense. Let's unpack this. Why, why on a bed of sickness? This is to give a reminder of her humanity to all those who are following her above scripture. These people have the Torah. They have scripture available to them. And yet they are believing the created instead of the creator. And this, her going through the sickness is to remind her and everyone that's following her of her humanity and that she is not God, that she is not some special supernatural being sent from heaven above to lead people into this new path like so many other uh, false doctrines have come about. Have you noticed all of these like cultic doctrines come about in that way? God sent me to give this special letter that's different than scripture and you can marry as many women as you want. You, see, it's God just brings some, someone out of nothing, just out of nowhere, no line of accountability and they have this completely different doctrine. This sickness is to remind of that how false and misleading they are. And when it describes her children... What it is most likely referencing is her disciples, the people that she is raising up as disciples that are perpetuating her false and misleading teaching. So it's not, ta- it's not talking about actual children. The Bible, and all the way in the Old Testament, the Bible talks about how God does not bring about the punishment of parents onto their children. And he doesn't bring about the punishment of children onto their parents. And so it's talking about her children is talking about her disciples. And then 
the, the issue here is that God surely does know your heart and the hearts of every person. And the Bible says that our own hearts will convict us on judgment day. The Bible says that our own conscience will stand as a witness against us. It's like those, those times where you get this urge of something that is right, but our selfishness draws us to what is maybe not wrong, but just not right. It makes me think about so many times when families have a death in, with like the grandparents or the parents, and all of the grandchildren or all of the children end up fighting about the money. Have y'all noticed that? It is so like disheartening to see. And what I believe that happens is that there's this, there's this moment to where those children or those people feel this urge to do what is right and to be patient and to talk to each other, trust each other, and to not be greedy. But then there's a part about, well, I better get mine though. And that, that greed turns into this, this selfish enigma that destroys everything else. Everything else becomes wiped off the table when it, there's that little voice in them saying, hey, you don't need to have it. It would be better for you to keep your relationships with your siblings to, than to fight about this. Yeah, but I want what's rightfully mine. And so we perpetuate that greed, that selfishness, that ugliness. And then we say, well, God knows my heart. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem because he knows those small, still voices that spoke to us right before we made the decision to go in the opposite direction. Y'all feel that? Every one of us is imperfect. Every one of us have the myself included, have those moments to where we have the urge to do something this way, but because it seems too difficult or too uh, uncomfortable, we go the opposite direction. The Bible, is, the Bible is so clear about how, how he, he tells us that God will give to each one of you according to your deeds. This last scripture where he says that to them, he says to this church, I'll give to each one of you according to your deeds. If you were to think about Jesus saying that to you, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? Some of you are like, a little bit of both. <laughs> but I feel like that's a good indicator for ourselves to see where our hearts are at. Because the scriptures that say there's no fear or condemnation in Christ Jesus, what did, what the, that's like a great verse, right? Anyone hear that verse before? There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's no fear or condemnation in Christ Jesus. Well, if you continue that verse, it says, for those who are following after Christ. It gives this whole imagery of like pursuing righteousness and holiness. But that part's kind of like, like, that's extra. Let's just stick with like, there's no condemnation in Jesus. <laughs> that's true. But what, he's, what, it's, what it's identifying is that those who are walking towards Jesus, those who are pursuing this lifestyle and relationship with Jesus, and it makes so much sense when we see the whole verse unpacked. And when we're simply just doing our best and forgetting the rest, there's no need to be afraid or uh, feel like you're going to be condemned on Judgment Day. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but you just know that you're trying. Y'all feel what I'm saying? 
And that, that I want us to focus on that part right there, trying. If, if you've ever, for anyone that's been a Christian long enough, there's a point where you go through hard times to where you feel like you're trying but not succeeding. You're trying but failing. And what, whatever it is, whether it's like trying to excel in, in like different practices or sacraments of your faith, you're trying to read scripture, you're trying to pray more, or maybe you're just like, man, I'm trying not to like indulge in the sin. I've been trying to stop it for a while, but I, I can't. See, I'm not saying that if you're trying, you're still going to be condemned. But the simple fact of trying to walk towards this direction, that's what matters. And so many of us, so many Christians in, in our nation have just shucked off the, the willingness to try and, and just have marked it as impossible. You know how many times I've heard people say, um, well, to wait to have sex before marriage, that's impossible. And at one point, I, was, I remember the day that I decided to, no long, to choose abstinence and to no longer have sex before marriage. And the thought I had was like, this is impossible. <laughs> I'm going to just have to repel every girl around me. I'm going to have to stink like B.O., get dressed really ugly, because I'm too irresistible. <laughs> You're like, oh man, that's how, how deceived he was. <laughs> but it seems so impossible at the moment because... We're entering into a brink of change. But when, when your perspective grows and your world opens, you realize that there's actually a lot of people who are trying to do their best too. There's a lot of people who are trying just like you, have gone through things just like you, and who are succeeding. But because we feel like we're the only ones that are struggling, we, we consider ourselves like a special case. Well, I'm just too jacked up. I'm just too messed up. I'm too, I have too many addictive traits. There's no way I could stop this or that. And we excuse ourselves because of this idea of being, having this special, uh, we have a special case. We have special treatment to why we can't do that. And I want to I use that as a segue to our last point, which is the rest of us. Is that the right one? Sometimes the best thing that you can do is to keep doing what you're doing. That's a, let that be a comforting quote <laughs> for, all of the, for, for all of the judgment we just passed. Sometimes the best thing that you can do is to keep doing what you're doing. Look what he says in this last part. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold firmly until I come. The one who overcomes, the one who keeps my deeds until the end, I'll give him authority over nations, and he shall rule with a rod and iron, as the vessels of the potter are shattered, as I also have received authority from my Father. And I'll give him the morning star. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to these churches. So real quick, I want to point out some, some imagery here. The one who overcomes is giving this imagery of eternity in heaven. And what this breaks down to is that it's authority, power, and glory. He says, authority over the nations. You will rule with a rod of iron. Uh, I'll give you the morning star. It is giving so much imagery of heaven that is so much more complex 
than what we grew up believing. It is not this, this like Sunday school image of heaven to where we just sit down and worship God forever. But it gives this idea of having authority in eternity. What would I need that for in heaven? It gives this imagery of like responsibilities. You, you'll rule over the nations. I mean, that's like a responsibility. I don't want to do that. <laughs> that's a responsibility. And he's saying that you'll have power, that you'll rule with a rod of iron. What he's showing is that you will be able to do what I've called you to do. And then he says, I'll give you the morning star. He's, it's a reference to glory. And so this whole imagery of overcoming is, is, is this, this idea of heaven that is so much greater than what we can understand. And it is not something boring. I, I don't know what happened in the world to where we, we automatically think that hell is like this big party and that heaven is just this boring place where we just sit down and shut up like at church. It, it gives us completely different imagery of what heaven is like. And when it, goes, when it talks about these, he says that you haven't gone into these deeper truths of Satan. What, he's being sarcastic saying, because he's saying deeper truths of Satan, really. Because what this woman was doing is saying in her teachings and her messages is, oh, I have this special deeper revelation from Scripture that you haven't heard about. See, God's grace is so great that we, we are free to do anything. In fact, our sinfulness only ex, it, it, uh, glorifies His mercy and forgiveness. And she's, what she did was she took Scriptures and manipulated it so much that it became something different entirely than the intention that it was written. When you read the Bible yourself, a lot of it is actually very plain. When it's specifically addressing people, most of it is pretty plain. The most, the, the most parts that have to be unpacked or complicated or have to be taught to us are like the prophetic imagery because we're so distant in history, we don't know what it's referencing. Even a lot of the prophetic imagery that's given is able to be used as a tool to, to learn and grow, but a lot of it is actually referenced for things that have already happened. Like this church this is a church that is long dead. There's no church of Thyatira in our world today. I mean, y'all get what I mean, right? Like this church, Thyatira. And what it's so much prophetic imagery is just history of, of being addressed to other people that we can still take out today. Most of scripture is very plain and very simple to us. The only things that are gray are the things when, we, when we're trying to identify like specific sins. Like when people are like, so can I get a tattoo? Uh, so uh, is masturbation wrong? See, those are, those are things where it starts becoming gray because you can take scriptures and say this way or that way, but at the end of the day, most of those gray areas are subject to a person's individual conviction. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so this person, when they're talking about deeper truths, deeper truths, anytime that you hear that, that should be a red flag. If you're looking through podcasts, if you're trying out other churches, whatever it is, 
if you hear that term, deeper truths, beware. You, you need to keep your, your ears peel, peeled. And if they start tickling, like to where like, well, this sounds different and it makes me feel a lot more comfortable, it actually might be something me, leading you astray. Because scripture is plain so that people can understand it. Do y'all feel what I'm saying? So that was just like extra credit. Now, the, this last part here, the beginning of this verse says, the rest of you, the rest who are in Thyatira. This is the point I want us to settle on. The only way the rest were able to avoid being fooled into to this teaching was because they held on to teachers and teachings that were based in Scripture. That's the way that they weren't fooled by this lady. And the only way that they were able to know it was by reading it. I mean, I want y'all to really think about this for a moment. How easy would it be for me to be able to fool you in Scripture? How, How would you know if I was actually telling you the truth or not? Politicians are the best example. I don't even know what's real anymore. <laughs> they could tell me, any, both sides could tell me anything. I'm like, I don't know what the hell they're saying because the other side's the exact opposite. I would have to, I have to examine so much content to be able to identify if a politician, just in our world today, is telling me the truth or not. Now, when we go to scripture, and I could tell you anything, how would you know if I'm actually being bound to scripture or not, unless you were just actively reading it yourself. It doesn't mean you have to be a scholar, but there's times where you just, if you're just digesting content, you, your muscle memories will pick up like, well, that doesn't sound right. You dig what I'm saying? And, and the, the part I want to end on, him, on these, the rest of these people is that there is actually so many people in this church doing a good job. I feel like so many times in church we get we get so focused on the wrong that we neglect the right. And we the this whole rebuke is actually not even to the general church. The only thing he says to the general church is that you tolerate this person misleading people under my house. They're just being nice. They're like, well, that's kind of weird. And they just didn't address it. But notice how he says, I place no other burden on you. That's a first, right? Ever in church, like, oh, no, you're doing a good job. Just keep doing what you're doing. He says, I place Jesus telling this church, I place no other burden on you. You're doing great. Just keep, he says, hold firmly to what you're already doing. Keep at it, kiddo. That's what he's telling the church. And there's so many of you here where you're really trying and you are doing a good job, even when you feel like you're not doing a good job. And Jesus is saying, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. You'll grow when you're ready to grow. I'm taking care of you. I'm watering you. You're doing a good job. Keep going. And so many times we feel insecure with our salvation. We feel insecure with our faith to where I feel like the most saved Christians always ask weird questions like, I just don't know if I'm really saved or not. It, it, it's, it almost sounds silly. Do you, do you trust in Jesus? Well, yeah. Are you, are you trying to do your best and forget the rest? Well, yeah. I just feel like I'm missing something. 
No, in fact, you're, you're doing a good job. You're, trying, you're wanting to grow even when you're not, you don't feel like you're growing. Do you see how, like, from a third perspective, that actually is a great, those are all great attributes of a person? To where you're even acknowledging and thinking, like, what more could I do in Christ, but you don't even know? Your, your growth has surpassed your knowledge. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And there's so many of you where I, I really want you, where he says the rest of you, I want that word rest, I want you to, to take the other definition of it and just feel a type of rest over your soul. Because we all grow at different, at different paces. There's just different paces that we are set. We all have different experiences. We all have different lives. And there's different addictions that I've had in my life that took me years to overcome compared to another person where it's like instantly they were able to stop it. People have different struggles. And everything you've gone through in your life it, it affects the way that you are dealing with those struggles. And so I don't want you to leave today thinking that you just got Bible slapped or condemned or fire, fire and brimstone. I want you to leave today with an encouragement to where if you are in that, that side that's like, I need to stop abusing God's mercy, grow from there. It doesn't mean you have to have a, a pity party. It just means that God loves you so much. He's saying, hey, that's not the, the relationship I've called you to. I actually want something more authentic, uh, authentic than what you thought I wanted. I want something more real than you thought. And once you start walking in that direction, you're going to feel so much more alive. And you're going to feel the passion when it talks about the eyes of fire. You're going to feel it so much more when you go all in with Jesus. And if you're, at this point, if you're on the other side of the spectrum to where you feel like you've been trying and even during the message you start feeling anxiety because you're thinking, I don't even know what else I could do. How am, I'm not good enough. That is a lie from hell. You are, you are so sufficient. You are good enough. You are doing a great job. And you can rest in knowing that there are times. Look at this scripture where he's saying, what you're doing, just keep doing. You're doing a good job. Jesus is saying it right here to this church, and he may just be saying it to you too. It, we're not, all, this church, just like us, we're not all evil. <laughs> It was not just this evil church having all this crazy stuff happening. There's just times where certain things need to be addressed. I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here and this message is just speaking to you about something, I want you to just have a moment where you talk to God. Just talk to God and ask Him, what is it that you're trying to tell me today? God, what are you trying to speak to my heart today? Have a moment where you just meditate on that. Let the Holy Spirit tell you let your, all of your thoughts, all of the busyness in your mind, the anxiety that built up, let it settle for a moment. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Now remember, you having this moment 
is you pursuing Jesus. And there is no condemnation or fear for those who are pursuing Jesus. And so if you start having these self-inflicting guilty thoughts of feeling being less than, how mess up you are, etc., those are not from the Holy Spirit. Those are either from deep insecurities that we carry or for the, from the devil himself. God speaks a good word to you. He loves you. And some of you, you really don't understand what the love of the Father is really like. It's hard for you to comprehend that kind of gentleness that God is portraying. If you're here and the Holy Spirit is telling you there's growth to happen, there's changes to be made, I want you to yourself just have a moment where you say, okay, yes, I will. From this moment forward, have a decision moment right now. Don't let it be a day where the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you didn't answer back. Have a moment of decision. And for those of you that I really believe that the Holy Spirit is just trying to, to bring a calming peace over you and say, you are doing a good job. Rest in the identity of Christ. Rest in the solidity of your faith. Take that and let the peace of God come over you. And for anyone here, or anyone listening that says, I need to have my first decision moment with Jesus. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to start this relationship. Everything in me is telling me to have a moment of change and repentance and walk towards God in a real relationship. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the son of God, that died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, surely you shall be saved. What that means is, is confessing with your mouth. What it's saying is have a conversation with God. Pray to him, talk to him, and be authentic about it. Acknowledge this gesture that God made with you. That's where it starts, is simply talking to him. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you to have that even either right now to yourself or, or today. But don't let, let, don't let it wait till tomorrow because you'll never do it. Let today be the day. God, I thank you for what you're doing and all the people here. I thank you for what you're speaking in this message. And I pray that your presence solidify and finish what you started in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your peace, God. Let it rest on every person here that is talking to you, that is making decisions for you. Let your peace settle on them. In Jesus' name. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. 
I'll see you next time on the Grape Top Church Podcast.